All right, let's look at our scripture. Oh, finally, pray for Presbytery. Our, 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 uh, we are part of a presbytery of, I think it's 13 churches uh, that are sister churches in the Tidewater area. We're meeting this Thursday to get together, and this is a chance uh, for our churches to do business, to pray together, for pastors to come together, and elders. And so would you pray uh, this Thursday for Presbytery? Uh, we would be blessed uh, if you would do that. Okay, let's look at our scripture, which is John 3, 1 through 15. That's John 3, 1 through 15. A very, very famous passage. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be old, born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm holding something in my hand. I'm wondering if you know what it is. See, we can do show and tell in church, can't we? Anyone have an idea? It's a linchpin. Thank you so much. It's a linchpin. What exactly is a linchpin? A linchpin is what you use to connect a trailer to a truck, right? You know, the trailer, it fits in that slot in the back, and then you take one of these pins. And literally, the entire weight of the trailer is resting on this particular linchpin. Why do I bring up this concept of a linchpin? Was well, because to be born again is the linchpin of what it means to be a Christian. There are many misconceptions over this title, born again. It was Chuck Colson that kind of brought it to popular jargon in 1976 by writing a book called Born Again. And there is this misconception in the world that there are two types of Christians. There's regular Christians, and there's born-again Christians. Which are you? <laughs> Jesus, however, was very specific, wasn't he? Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so we need to unpack this concept of born again. We need to understand it in its fullness. And so we're going to ask three particular questions today. Number one, how important is it really? How important is it to be born again? Number two, what is it? What does it mean to be born again? And finally, number three, how do we receive it? How do we receive being born again? So let's 
take a look at that first question. How important is it? John 3, 1 starts out, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So there are these two figures in this passage here. There's Jesus and there's Nicodemus. And we know some things about Nicodemus right away. Number one, that he is a ruler of the Jews. And that means that Nicodemus is part of the Sanhedrin. He's part of the governmental structure. There were 70 members of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council of Israel. It would be akin to the uh, 100 senators, if you will, that are in the United States. But however, there's no president, there's no Congress. And so these are extremely powerful figures. So Nicodemus is a senator, he's powerful, he's most likely rich. Uh, you didn't get to that particular position by not having a tremendous amount of influence. He's old. Uh, it takes a while to ascend to that level. He is in the club, if you will. Nicodemus is at the top of his game. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, but he was also a Pharisee. That means he was a dedicated follower of the law. Nicodemus was not corrupt. Nicodemus was a morally upright person. They, the Pharisees, they wanted to follow the law as best as they could. And, and so they made rules and rules and rules and rules on top of rules in order to follow the law. And so Nicodemus was most likely, he was, a, he was a Pharisee, he was morally upright of the highest moral character. And this one comes to Jesus by night and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now we also know that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Now a lot of us have a picture of Nicodemus as uh, one who is a seeker. He's interested in, in Jesus and he's seeking, but I want to suggest to you that Nicodemus is not coming to Jesus for personal reasons. Night in the book of John always represents spiritual blindness or spiritual darkness. Nicodemus, uh, despite his religious qualifications, is spiritually blind, but he's not coming for himself personally. Now, how do I know that? Well, I think it's because of this phrase, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. What does it mean, we know that you are a teacher? It's just Nicodemus coming by night. I want to suggest to you that Nicodemus is representing a group of people. He's representing a faction, if you will, maybe from the Sanhedrin or of the Pharisees that are on board or at least sympathetic to what Jesus is doing and saying. He doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah or a prophet or the prophet for that matter. He calls him teacher, right? Teacher, we know that you are from God. He knows that Jesus performs these signs, that he is a teacher. And so Nicodemus has come to say, Jesus, you have friends in high places. We're interested in helping you. And maybe you can help us. And so this is an example of what I would call backroom politicking that's going on here as Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And so he says to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher. And he goes on and on, for no one could do these signs unless God were with him. And then Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's very interesting that he answered him, it says. Is there a question there? No, but 
Nicodemus is implying here. He's doing this backroom politicking. And Jesus instead takes the conversation in an entirely different direction. He basically says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you have a problem. You need to be born again. Now, when we think about this phrase, born again, we think about a radical conversion that is reserved usually for the most needy in society, right? You ever heard someone say something like this? She, she doesn't drink, she doesn't smoke, she doesn't sleep around. She's a born-again Christian, right? No, it's, being born again is, is reserved for the criminals like Chuck Colson and the drug addicts and the prostitutes that need a 180-degree conversion from where they're going. They're going this way, and then they become born again, and they go this way. And society, by the way, affirms the power of Christianity to help the downtrodden and the needy. You ever wonder why it is that they allow Bibles in prisons and Bible studies in prisons, but they don't allow them in schools and other places? It's because they've recognized the power of Christianity and faith-based initiatives in order to change the hearts of people, right? So being born again is for those folks. But you see, Nicodemus isn't like that at all, is he? He's not like one of the profligates. He's not like one of the criminals. He's not like one of those down-and-outers. Nicodemus is morally upright already. He's a teacher of Israel. He's religious. He's faithful in his adherence to the law. In fact, Nicodemus is exactly the type of person who doesn't need to be born again. And yet Jesus says to him, you need to be born again. This is why Nicodemus is so shocked, by the way. It would be like going to the Pope or someone and saying, you need to be born again. When the reality is that he does. We all do. See, Nicodemus thinks God loves and accepts me because I'm morally upright and I'm religious, and I adhere to the law. That's how I ascend, if you will, to my standing with God. God, he loves the ones who are good. But Jesus is saying, no, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And if Nicodemus must be born again, what does that say about us? It tells us that Christianity is not about getting your act together. It's not about your strict adherence to the law. It's not about climbing the religious ladder until you get to the top in order to have some sort of standing in favor with God. It's about a new birth. It's about a new life that comes from above. That's not just for the down and outers, it's for you and for me. And without this new birth, we're all lost whether you're Nicodemus or whether you're me. And Jesus uses two particular words to highlight this importance of being born again. They are unless and cannot. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. I have four children and uh, had the opportunity to see them come into the world. And in order for them to, uh, you know, 
come into the world, they have to be born. And I remember going to the hospital, waiting for them to come out with my cigars in hand, right? Now imagine if they never came out. Imagine if the doctor said, oh, false alarm. Sorry, there's nothing there. It was a mistake. We can all go home. There would be no child. No, the child has to be born again. So what criteria are you using to measure your salvation? I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't sleep around. I'm moral enough, though I suggest not as much as Nicodemus. I try harder to get my act together in order for God to love me. You can be doing all of those things, and you can be dead even though you think that you're alive. So you must be born again. It's not an option. So how important is it? It's everything. Well, we just answered question number one. How about question number two? What is it? What is being born again? Being born again, in a word, is transformation, not reformation. Transformation, not reformation. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is being sarcastic here, right? Nicodemus doesn't understand the difference between a second beginning and a different beginning. And Jesus is talking about a different beginning, transformation, not simply a reformation. See, one birth is from below, but the second birth is from above. And what is it a transformation of? It's a transformation of two things. It's a transformation of your status, and it's a transformation of your identity. First, your status. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says water and the spirit. What is he talking about? There are three ideas of what he's talking about. The first is, well, he's, he's talking about being born in a natural way, right? When a woman's water breaks, she goes into labor. He's talking about that. But that doesn't really make sense because everybody is born of water. It's a, it's a redundant statement. Jesus wouldn't say that. Jesus is anything but redundant. So he's not talking about birth. Or maybe he's talking about baptism. You have to be born of baptism and the Spirit. But we also know that you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. Think of the thief on the cross at the very end of his life. He wasn't baptized. And yet Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, this day you will be with me in paradise. No, he's not talking about birth. He's not talking about baptism. He's talking about the water of forgiveness. How do I know that? I know that because Jesus is referencing, as he's speaking to Nicodemus, who should know this verse, Ezekiel 36, 24, and 25, which is what we read earlier during the praying the, praying the scriptures time, where Jesus says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, 
and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. Jesus is the, the prophet uh, Ezekiel is taking these words from God and saying what is going to happen when Christ comes, that he is going to gather his people together. And he's going to sprinkle clean water on their head, meaning they will be free of their uncleanliness. And we know that uncleanliness means being unacceptable to God in the Old Testament. Because of their sins, because of their rebellion against God, they have been banished from the land. But God is saying, there will come a time when I will bring you back. And even though you have rebelled against me and sinned against me, I will wash you, and you shall be clean. And that washing is the cross. See, what he's saying is that every single one of us are in the same boat, that all of us sin. And the result is we all are unclean and unacceptable before God. But to be born again, he sprinkles water on us. He cleanses us from our uncleanliness and gives us a new birth into a new status. It's a transformation from being a sinner to a righteous person. A permanent change of our standing from being an enemy of God to actually being a son and a daughter of God. And you can only be birthed into this new status. And the result of this is holiness. Romans 5.1 puts it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. In other words, this transformation of our status means as God looks upon us, it's as if we never sin. As if we're pure as snow. It's a transformation of our status. <coughs> but it's not only a transformation of our status, it's a transformation of our identity. If you are born again, Jesus not only transforms your status, he transforms you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 put it best, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. I mean, that's what this illustration is all about, isn't it? Being born again, being born anew as a new creation. Verse 6, Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. All of us initially are born of the flesh. We're born of this earth. And we have an earthly nature. And this earthly nature, this flesh, has certain characteristics. One of which is it rebels against God. It doesn't want to have anything to do with God. It doesn't understand spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 2.14 puts it this way, that the natural man, or the earthly man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See, my friends, no one is born a Christian. The flesh does not produce redemption. This was a common error that the Jews made. They thought that because they were Jews that they were descended 
from, the, from Abraham that they were numbered among the people of God. Likewise, you and I may have been born to Christian parents, raised in a Christian home, and gone to a Christian school or a Christian college, but none of these things make us a Christian. No, instead, we have to be born of the Spirit, because those who are born of the Spirit is Spirit. He's talking about a rebirth by the Holy Spirit, who is the life giver, right? Remember at the beginning, when the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and the Spirit went to work, for the Spirit is the workhorse of God, the energy of God, the life of God. To be born again is to receive a new nature, a nature empowered, enlivened by the Holy Spirit. See, if you are a Christian, you're not the same as who you were. You may look the same on the outside, but you're different from the inside. Now there's a desire and a hunger for holiness, for holy conduct, a sadness when you do sin, for you are different. Jesus said in Luke 6.43, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. What if I had an apple orchard, a nice thriving apple orchard, and I said to myself, you know what? Next week, or excuse me, next year, next harvest, I want peaches. Now I could go ahead and I could start uh, using a different type of fertilizer, a different pruning technique, a different watering schedule. But sure enough, next year, when it came time for fruit, I would get the same fruit that I had gotten before, which is apples, for they're apple trees. Now there has to be a radical transformational change to go from being apples to peaches. I don't know if you know the story of St. Augustine, who was one of the most famous saints who lived uh, in the uh, year 500, 535 uh, BC. And Augustine was, he was quite a troublemaker before he came to faith in his early 30s. He was somewhat of a sex addict, if you will. That was his problem. He had a kind of a girl in every town. In fact, at one time when he was praying to God, he said, give me chastity, but not yet. Well, Augustine finally came to faith. And Augustine is traveling in one of his towns, and uh, one, one, he's traveling in a town, and he comes upon this girl who he's, he's obviously been with. And this girl runs up to him saying, Augustine, Augustine. And Augustine keeps walking. And, and she's saying, Augustine, here I am. And, and Augustine just nods politely. And, uh, and as Augustine walks away and this woman is flummoxed, she thinks to herself, well, maybe he just didn't recognize me. He didn't recognize who it was. And so she, she, she yells out to him, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine turns to her and says, yes, but it is not I. Because I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. See, reformation is not enough, is it? What is needed in our lives is transformation. Are you looking for transformation? I want to be a new person, a holy person, 
a godly person. That's what the Holy Spirit does, transforming us from the inside out. So surrender your life to God. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever come to Christ and said, I want to be a new person? Make me a new person, you, the Lord of my life and my Savior. If you are a Christian already, remember that you have a new status, that you're a new person, that at your core, you are holy. We have to remember as believers who we are and then go out and live in accordance with our identity. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that's what the Holy Spirit is, it is transformation. So we finally get to our third point, how do we receive it? I got a chance to go See Alice Bird Coakley, uh, uh, born to Daniel and Pamela Coakley from this congregation. I, I got to go see her uh, today. And we had a wonderful conversation, by the way, Alice and I. Alice is about I don't know, four days old, and I got to ask her the question, uh, you know, how did it go? What did you do? You know, how did you navigate the birth canal and all of this, you know, kind of things. And, Alice, of course, was, was like a suitcase. Alice was laid out in the playpen, uh, totally conked out. Alice is clueless. And Alice would never be able to answer that question because people don't birth themselves, do they? Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, to be born of the Spirit means that the origin of your new birth is from God. If you are a Christian, it's God who chose you. It's God who found you and set his affection on you and brought you to faith. See, that's why Jesus Christ came. I love this stanza or this verse from Hark the Herald Angel Sings where it says, that he was born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Jesus says in verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Jesus has come from heaven and he brings the spirit to give new birth. See, that was Nicodemus's fundamental error. He thought that Jesus had come to teach him. But Jesus had come to save them. So how do we participate in the new birth? We don't initiate the new birth, but we get to participate in it. John 3.14 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is from the Old Testament when the people of Israel were sinning. And they had sinned so much against God that God sent serpents into the wilderness to, to bite uh, the Israelites. And whoever uh, was bitten by one of these snakes was going to die. And they appealed and yelled out to Moses. And Moses cried out to God and God said, create a serpent and put it on a pole. And whoever looks to that serpent will be healed, will be saved 
from dying of this painful death. And Jesus is saying, as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him must have eternal life. Jesus is the one lifted up that we can look to, that we can be saved, and that we can be born again through. Him being lifted up is being placed on the cross to die for our sins. That is the power of Jesus Christ. And how do we look to him? We believe in him. We believe in his sacrifice. We believe that he is who he said he is. We live by faith in his identity in the cross. I remember at the age of 18, hearing the gospel for the first time, that it ever made sense to me. As the Spirit of God came down from heaven, and I felt his presence, and I heard the gospel, and I believed. In that time, in my friend's basement at the age of 18, I was born again. We don't initiate the new birth, but we get to participate in it. So have you? Are you a new creation in Jesus Christ? Have you looked to him to be saved? You can be today. So look to Jesus. Look to the cross and be born from above. <clears throat> Be a new creation in Christ, a new identity, a new somebody from the inside that will bring its way and come all the way to the outside. Until people look at you and say, but it is I. And you can say, but it is no longer I. I'm a new creation in Christ. That is the promise of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, and the hope of the gospel. Let's pray. Oh God, we must be born from above. Left to ourselves, we will surely perish. God, but through Jesus Christ, who brings the Spirit, we can be a new creation. I pray that every single person in the hearing of my voice would have bowed the knee and recognized and looked to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that they might be born from above and be a new creation. And may this be so, by your Holy Spirit, that moves like the wind. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.